Our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 10. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For the waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert, and the burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. As we look at and kind of really wrap up a section of Scripture here. Jesus and his disciples have been traveling to Jerusalem from the end of Mark 8, the very last couple of verses there, until the end of Mark chapter 10. So next week when we gather in the Bible and we look at Mark chapter 11, we will have made it to Jerusalem. And like I said last week, we're going to spend then about five months on one week of the life of Jesus. Because that's what happens in Mark 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. It's just one week of his life. Two chapters have covered significantly longer than that and hundreds of miles of traveling. But we're going to spend one week in one city uh, for five months here as a church as we look at, at the last week of Jesus' life. And so this is wrapping up this section of really about discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And we kind of talked about that last week. I made up a little acronym to help you out of call to be captivated by Jesus, to abandon your idols, to learn to love the things that Jesus loves, and then to live resolved to be like Jesus, that we want to see that that's kind of the big overarching thing being taught in Mark 9 and 10. And so we get to the end of Mark 10, the end of this teaching of what it looks like to follow Jesus, and we meet this man named Bartimaeus. He is a blind beggar, but what we want to see is that he is also an exemplary disciple. This section of scripture wraps up with a really good example what has been being taught this whole time. Because what we see from this blind beggar is that he's humble, he's dependent, he sees that he's unwilling, but he cries out for the son of David, the true Messiah, to have mercy on him. And then when he is healed, he follows Jesus. He answers that question. What does it look like? What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to come to the end of yourself, to cry out for mercy for God, and then to follow him. And that's what we see from this blind beggar. And that's what we want to learn. We want to learn that we need to cry out for mercy, to cry out to the merciful one. We'll see that we need to make sure that we're crying out to that merciful one. We're going to see that Bartimaeus keeps crying out. He doesn't just stop and cry out once, but it is a persistence 
And follow, finally, we will see that we need to follow that merciful one. And that's what we want to walk through this morning as we see the last couple of verses of this section of Mark 9 and 10. So with that, let me read Mark 10, verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho. And as, as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him, be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this man's persistence. This blind beggar thousands of years ago and how much we can learn from him as he cries out for the son of David to have mercy on him. Lord, I pray that we are like him, that we see his example in today's text, and that we long to follow and cry out for the Son of David, the true Messiah, Jesus, to have mercy on us, and that we would keep crying out and keep running to him because we know that he's merciful, we know that he's kind, we know that he's good, and as his mercy takes effect in our lives, that we would go and follow him. Help us and help me this morning as we walk through this text, I pray that you would change us. This is your name. Amen. Well, here we have the first thing that we want to see from our text is that we must cry out, but not just to anyone, to cry out to the merciful one. You see there in verse 46 that they came to Jericho, and just as a reminder, Jericho is literally like 3,500 feet below sea level. And so when they're heading towards Jerusalem, he's literally walking up a hill to get to Jerusalem. It's a constant incline as he does that. And as they were leaving Jericho, getting ready to go to this uphill walk, ultimately to the death of Jesus, with his disciples and a great crowd also following him this way, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus. So his his name is is Bartimaeus according to the text, but translated, and Mark translates it for us, it just means son of Timaeus. That's what that means. His dad, I guess, wasn't very clever in, in naming him, or maybe it's just another way to say junior. But that's what his name is. And they, so we get this guy's name. And what's interesting about getting his name, he's, he's actually the only person in the book of Mark who gets healed by Jesus that gets a name. Mark doesn't name anybody else. And there's other things here happening within the language that actually looks really similar to the earlier way, the way that Jesus is identified and stuff like that. To Jesus' first healing as he casts out a demon in the book, uh, in, in Mark chapter 1. And this is actually the last healing we're going to see in the book of Mark. See, Jesus isn't going to heal anyone else miraculously in chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. That 
all starts to shift towards the cross. And so we see that this, this is a shift in the ministry of Jesus. This is the last time he's going to manifest the kingdom of God in that kind of way to show, hey, I'm coming and I'm coming to, to heal people. And, and, and I'm coming to set and make all things right. And it's interesting that it happens to this blind man. This man that gets a name when no one else really does. This guy just sitting by the roadside. But what happens is, is this guy gets healed. He gets healed by Jesus. Why? Because he cries out. And I want you to see the order that happens. He's not sitting there just like crying out this random phrase, like someone have mercy on me, calling everybody the son of David. But it says, he heard in verse 47 that it was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See, Bartimaeus doesn't start crying out until he hears who it is. He cries out for mercy because he knows that this is the merciful one. See, Jesus' reputation is preceding him. Jesus has these people follow him. Sometimes we think maybe it's like Jesus and these 12 random guys just walking around, but that's not what's happening. Jesus is gathering these large crowds of thousands of people longing for healing all throughout. People know this is the guy who heals you. This is the guy who has mercy on the rest of us that nobody else wants to be around. He's a blind beggar on the side of the road and everybody is just passing by. He is lending himself to the mercy of others because he cannot make a living. He doesn't have the ability to see. And when he hears that it's the merciful one coming, he sees and cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. You don't cry out for mercy from somebody who doesn't have any. You cry out for mercy because you know he's filled with it. And he calls him the son of David, which is another way of saying he is the Messiah. See, what Bartimaeus knows is that Jesus, there's something special about him. He's the anointed one. He's the sent one. He's the one who's come to make all things right. And perhaps this blind guy who can't see anything sees a little more clearly than everybody else. No one else sees quite as clear as the blind man. Perhaps Bartimaeus is more familiar with the text than the others, and he knows Isaiah 35, 5. He said, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. That was our scripture reading this morning. This is what Jesus has come and to do. He is taking blind eyes, and he's opening them. And he is filled with mercy and grace. If you did your reading for community group this week, and if you haven't yet, I want to encourage you to do it. I wish I was this good at planning. I'm just not. The first chapter is literally the father of mercies. You can wrestle through. What does it look like? What does it mean for God to be the father of mercies? Well, in Psalm 103, 6 through 13, we are told what kind of God we serve. Why it is we should have a confidence to cry out to him for mercy. Psalm 103, verse 6 says this, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his way to Moses. He acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is all over the Old Testament, that the Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to all those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That's your God. That's who he is at his very core and in his heart. We don't cry out for mercy because sometimes if we're just honest, we're afraid that he might not give it. We think, I wouldn't give it. I don't deserve any of this mercy. Someone came to me crying out for this. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his priestliness of loving us and caring for us that leads us to go boldly to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy. What we need to take away as we look at this blind man is we need to know what he knew. We need to have the kind of faith that he has. We need to have faith in the mercy of God. That's our application. Have faith in the mercy of God. We must believe that God is merciful if we are to cry out for him. And as we have that faith, we cry out. But as we look in that text, it says he began to cry out. It doesn't say Bartimaeus heard who it was and said, Jesus, have mercy on me. I didn't hear me, man. It's not happens. He began to cry out because he keeps crying out. Because sometimes God doesn't answer and he longs for us to continue to cry out to him. And even when others chide us and tell us, just shush, be quiet, keep crying out. And that is our second point this morning. Keep crying out to the merciful one. In verses 48 and 49. First, just looking at verse 48. It tells us, And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't just cry once or twice, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Shh, be quiet, be quiet. Son of David, have mercy on me. Stop, you're going to bother him. He doesn't have time for you. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Son of David, have mercy on me. They're telling him, be quiet, just stop, cut it out. Son of David, all the more, have mercy on me. This is who he is. The God who longs for us to continue in our desperation, crying out, keep coming to me. In the book of Genesis, we find Jacob. And Jacob is a peculiar character. He's a, a, a kind of a thief. He's, he's sneaky. And yet, God loves him. And, and we see this, that he is coming back from ripping off one guy to uh, back to his homeland where he's already ripped off his brother. And his brother Esau is on the way, and his brother has become a powerful man. And Jacob hears, oh no, I'm about to run into my brother, who I ripped off years ago and originally ran away because I thought he was going to kill me. And there's no way that Jacob can get out of this. He, he has too many herds and people following him. He can't just turn tail and run. He's 
they're going to meet. They're going to collide. And he knows that. And so he starts sending his brother all these like lavish gifts. Like, hey, go, go forward and, and tell him and be like, hey, where's this from? Be like, your brother Jacob gave it to you. He's trying to sweeten the pot. Like whatever it takes, whatever, whatever's going to happen. And, and, he, and we find him in, in Genesis chapter 32. And he is, he is desperate. He's an incredibly desperate man. And he takes his family, he splits up his herds. So he thinks, well, maybe if he kills one of them, I'll still have the other one and all this kind of stuff. And, he, and then he takes his family and he runs away just a little bit from all the action. And in his desperation, he has an encounter with a man. That's what the, the, the text tells us. And he and this man begin to wrestle. And they wrestle all night. And when the man sees that, that Jacob is not going to, or he, he won't prevail over Jacob, he touches Jacob's hip and he pulls it out of socket. And Jacob injured and in pain, and it seems like to me he's going to be injured for the rest of his life because of this, that this man has broken his hip, grabs him, and, and the guy says, let go, the day is about to break. And Jacob says, I will not let go until you bless me. And it's this weird story. That's weird. I don't, really, that's, that's weird to me. Why in the world is this happening? What is going on? And as he says that, the man says this in verse 28. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So here's what happens. It seems like Jacob is wrestling with this man who's unnamed, but it's probably God. Maybe a early manifestation of, of Jesus, because Jesus has preexisted his birth, right? Possibly. And he's wrestling with this guy, and the guy can just touch him, put his hip out of socket. Now, here's where this verse, this story goes totally wrong. When we're like, prevail against God and make it all about you. And if you just like strive, like, listen, he touched his hip and broke it. He, like, you know, it's like me wrestling with Judah. Like sometimes Judah wins, right? Like <laughs> he doesn't win. He cannot take me, not yet, right? And that's what's happening. This guy's let, God is letting him wrestle. Why? Why is he doing this with, with Jacob? And yet he maims him, and yet he won't tell him his name, but he kind of lets him know, yeah, it's God. He's re-blessed. Why is this like this tension of he's letting him wrestle? He doesn't just like crush him. And yet at the same time, he's showing him, you don't have anything on me. Like all I can do is, and your, your hip's out. What, what's happening there? There's this tension. And I believe the tension that's happening in Genesis 32 is God is showing Jacob, I want your desperation to win. I want your zeal. I want your fight. But I don't want your independence. I don't want your conniving, little manipulative ways that you've been living out all throughout the Genesis narrative Quit trying to take things into your own hands and trust me. I want your desperation. I want your zeal, but I need you to be completely dependent on me. And this, when we bring this back now to our text of the day, that's Bartimaeus. He is so desperate for Jesus, but he's also totally dependent. 
He's both of these things. He's crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. And he's not going to stop. He's zealous to encounter Jesus. He's not just giving up. He's willing to cry out even when everybody else is saying, shh, be quiet. You're just a bother. He's not going to talk to you. And he is saying, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. But he's crying out and he's asking for mercy because not only is he desperate to win, desperate to know Jesus and be close, he's also dependent. He knows he cannot do it on his own. Again, he's, he's an exemplary disciple in this kind of way. And that's what I want to say. We need to be like him. We need to be both desperate and dependent upon the Lord. We need to walk away from this text and see that what does it mean to just come to the end of myself, to see my own blindness and cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And to keep striving after the Lord because God is teaching you something in the wrestling. It's for you. It's not for him. It's not like because Jacob was just a really good wrestler, God blessed him. He blesses him because he is desperate and then God humbles him by breaking his hip, refusing to tell him his name. And Jacob starts to become not only desperate to win, but dependent upon the Lord. See, God is calling you to be like this blind beggar. The Son of David hears you, and he hears your cries. The Messiah hears you, and he has come to set all things right still. He is still healing the blind, particularly those who have blind hearts. And he is changing you. The call to follow Jesus is the call to continually be desperate for him and to run after him. And in this desperation and in his dependence, saying that he cannot heal himself, Jesus calls him. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. We were wrong. We were telling you to be quiet. Take heart, Bartimaeus. Be encouraged. He's calling you. Go to him. And it's no wonder, as we look into our last point for the morning, that Bartimaeus gets up, and after he is healed, he follows him. We must follow the merciful one. Verse 50, it says, And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Nothing is going to stop this guy. I mean, he's a blind beggar. He doesn't have a lot of stuff, okay? Like, and, and people don't have a lot of stuff in this day anyway. It's not like he's just got a closet full of coats like we do. And he doesn't care. If this thing is going to hold him back from getting to Jesus, he's tearing it off. Like, I, I got to get, he's calling me. Take heart. You guys are just need to be quiet. My heart, I'm, here we go. He's throwing it off. And then he says he jumps up. He's a blind guy. He just jumps. He doesn't care what's in his way. He's going to run to Jesus. And that's what he does. He sprang up and came to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, what do, you want, what do you want me to do for you? That is the same thing that Jesus said to James and John just a few uh, paragraphs before. James and John, the son of Zebedee, come to Jesus, and they start being a little more like Jacob. Hey, 
let us sit at your right and left hand in your glory. We want some glory. We want to come and be a part of, of your thing, Jesus. Elevate us. Make us great. And here you have this contrasting thing happening in the book of Mark. You have James and John who are supposed to get it, and a blind man who's not supposed to get it. And the blind man runs to him, crying out for mercy, and he's just going to ask, let me receive my sight. And then he's going to go follow Jesus, not ask for any status position, and all they want is status and position. And that's what we see. It's, it's to the disciples' shame. But God is so gracious. He's so gracious to, to this man and to us. Because he says, and the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And that word for, for rabbi is, is, is signals that he knows that it's God. That he knows that Jesus is the one who has come. It's a special, it's a special word for there. Hard for us to catch it in the English translation, but, but it is there and he's saying, I know who you are. The son of David, I know who you are. Let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go away. Your faith has made you well. In Mark 9, 14 through 49, again, I, I'm suggesting that this paragraph of this story is summarizing the last two chapters for us. Mark 9, 14 through 29 was the story of the, the boy, uh, little boy who's possessed with a demon. And they don't, the disciples, right, can't heal this little boy. And Jesus tells them, it's because of your little faith. And he tells that even to the father. And the father, what does he do? He cries out when Jesus says that. Jesus says, because the father basically says, hey, if you can heal him, Will you? And Jesus says, well, if I can, everything is possible for those who believe. And the father looks and says, I believe, help my unbelief. We talked about faith, how God utilizes faith as the vehicle to bring out this, this blessing and relationship with Jesus as Jesus comes to them and that Jesus is the giver of that faith. And we see that same theme here. Jesus tells them, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And it happens throughout the book of Mark that Jesus credits the man's faith for his sight. Your faith has made you well. See, I, th- I think what we want to see is that faith, if, if Jesus' atoning work, his sonship to God, all that he came to accomplish, his life, death, and resurrection on the cross, the gospel, that's the medicine you need to be healed from your ultimate problem, right? Bartimaeus is, is blind physically, but there's a bigger blindness that Jesus is coming to heal, and that is the blindness of, of, of our spiritual blindness, that we need to be healed. Our biggest problem are not our physical ailments. Again, and, and we can even see that in the time that Mark gives, right? This is the last time somebody gets healed. The rest of the book is like one week about the death, resurrection of Jesus, okay? And so he's going to do that, and he's saying, if that's like the medicine that you need applied to your sick heart, your sin-sick heart, then I want to suggest that faith is like the IV. It's like the needle that needs to be put into your veins so that medicine can get infused into you. Because that's what we see. When we become Christians by faith, we become one and united with Jesus. He, for a, in a metaphorical kind of way, his blood runs through your veins. You become his family. He becomes your father. You become one and united with him. Faith is just that, that conduit that God is using to hook his life into yours. To bring himself to you 
so that healing medicine for your sin-sick heart might be applied. And that's what we want to see. So Bartimaeus, this blind man, his faith makes him well, and then what happens is he walks in faith. The last part of verse 52, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on, his, on the way. Faith changes us. In the beginning of the section, in verse 46, he's a blind beggar sitting on the roadside, sitting down, off to the side, unable to see. By the end, he's recovered in sight. He's not sitting by the road. He's standing up, and he's not by the side, but he's on the very road, committed to following Jesus. Following Jesus uphill to his death. That's what it means to have faith in the Son of God. To see who he is. That you would have faith to follow him no matter where you goes, Even to his own death. This man's an example. This is what we have to take away. This is what we learn. That we must follow Jesus by faith. This wraps up this last section. It would be a real shame if we finish sections like this and we're not changed. If there isn't something about me that's different. There's not something about you that is different. As we look over the last two chapters, I would encourage you, maybe if you get a moment, if it's Sunday afternooners, it's a little harder, but for those of you on Thursdays, it may be a little more simple to read through these two chapters of Mark 9 and 10 to recap what God has been teaching us. I'm just doing that right now, looking at the, the, the subtitles in my Bible, thinking about what we learned as we studied through those, that we have to see Jesus for who he truly is, to be captivated by him, to be, see that he's amazing, to see that he's great, that he truly is the Son of God. We see that faith is the thing that makes us well, that we have to be these people who, who have faith in him and know that we cannot save ourselves, that it's not about status, but it's about humility, that we must become lower and a servant to all and a slave to all if we are to be first in the kingdom of God, that this impacts every part of our life, even marriage and divorce, that God is the one who keeps us together and that we have to have grace and be filled with it. That you can't come to Jesus if you come to, unless you come to him like a child. Unless you come desperate and needing more. That you've got to abandon every idol, even if you're a really rich young man, if you want to follow Jesus. That again, we can't be shouldering and jockeying for position. But we are to be humble. Those of us who are called to lead in his kingdom, lead by becoming a servant, and a slave to all, that we follow his example. And finally, in today's text, we see that all come crashing together as this desperate, blind man cries out for mercy and then determines to follow the one and only true Son of God. Each week in your community group, you talk about things that we learn about from the sermon, from your reading. 
And I just want to encourage you that maybe it could be helpful this week or maybe in the weeks following, particularly for those of you who need a little time to process some things, that's okay. To know that that community group will go a lot better if the first time you look at the questions isn't at community group. The first time you take a gander at those questions is while you're sitting there in community group, you're just going to like talk and think later. But if maybe you take some time to look at those questions, to consider them, and just maybe even write down some answers that you might be able to share with those of the other people in your group. And I just wanted to call one away in particular for this week. It's going to be the last question that you go over in your community group. It's just this. In what ways is God calling you to follow him in faith? What steps do you need to take? As you read Mark 9 and 10, think about the sermons. Now, this is not anything to do with me. This is my understanding, our church's understanding of what the local church is. These sermons are for us. And I'm not saying that because of me. I'm saying that because there's a sovereign God of the universe who brought you here. There's a reason you're in this church today and not a different one. That is God's plan. That is what he is doing. And if that's true, then God has had something to say through an inadequate person like me to you in the last couple weeks. What I want to encourage is that we as a community of faith would see that me, other future pastors that God will bring to our church, other people who preach the word, God is talking to you in a special way in that moment, in that preaching event. And I want to know, your group wants to know, what is God calling you to change What does it look like for you to follow Jesus after reading through Mark 9 and 10? What's going to be different? What steps need to be taken? And our group should all be asking, how can I help? How can I help? Where are you weak? Where are you crying out for mercy? How can I help you? Brother, how can I help you, sister? Because this isn't me talking, it's the Bible. It's the word of God, and it changes us. And that's what I want us to wrap up with this week. We're going to sing a new song here in just a moment. I'm going to invite the band up to play. Um, they can start playing through that. And, and it is about this story that we just read, this song that we're singing. The reason why it's new, the reason why I asked Kendall to play it is because it is from this exact text. It's about this blind man who cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And I want to invite our church to respond to this text as we sing this song together. I will pray, we'll stand, and then we'll sing. And we will sing those words, Son of David, have mercy on me. And that you would be thinking through, God, what do you want to change in me? Where do I need your mercy? God, help me learn. Where do I need to still have faith to, to infuse myself with the life of Jesus? That is no longer I who live, but it's, I live by the Son of God through faith who lives in me, who loved me and gave himself up for me. That we would ask that question, Jesus, where are you changing me today?
what idols need abandoned? Where do I need repentance? God, change me. Let's pray. Spirit, I ask you to work in my heart right now as I sing this song. And I ask you to work in the hearts of these people. We ask that we would be a people who see that you are so merciful. There's nothing we need to hide back from you. God, wherever it is that we need help, that we need mercy, that we need strength, that we would cry out to you, that we keep crying out to you, and that we would be good brothers and sisters in the faith. We would see what does it look like to help my brother, to help my sister. Lean into the mercy of God to be a true disciple of Jesus, to be different, to be changed. Father, we pray, Son of David, have mercy on us. We ask this in your name.